Welcome to the AIU podcast. My name is Kernot Bonkert. I'm the chairman on the guidelines on urinary tract infection of the AIU. And uh, my partner in our podcast today is Katrin Bausch. And uh, we would like to discuss a new chapter we have added this year to our guideline and the chapter is about urogenital tuberculosis. And we will immediately start with our discussion. Katrin, my question to you is, do you think that it was a good idea or an important idea to add such a chapter? Or what was the reason why we have uh, added the chapter? Again, there are many reasons why we added that chapter. I guess one of the most important reasons is that You, there is not much knowledge among urologists about tuberculosis in general and especially about urogenital tuberculosis. I think in one of the papers or one of the studies you did a few years ago, you could see that this seems to be quite a problem that people yeah, are not yeah, aware yeah, of. That. Yeah, indeed. Uh, in 2019, we have published a study. It was a survey about tropical diseases and the knowledge uh, among archaeologists in Europe. And... Uh, We have shown that uh, the knowledge about urogenital tuberculosis was in Europe was or is quite low. About uh, 20% only uh, of the participants have or had a good knowledge about urinary tuberculosis. And I think what is important to know is that tuberculosis is an ancient disease, it's a bacterial disease, and it's one of number one killers worldwide. Exactly. So you have to uh, consider that in the last two centuries, about two billion people died because of tuberculosis. And tuberculosis is not only affecting the lungs. Tuberculosis could be uh, as well affecting other organs. If not the lungs are affected, then we are speaking about so-called extrapulmonary tuberculosis. Katrin, could you add a sentence to, to extrapulmonary tuberculosis? Yes, of course. So... It it depends. It depends in which country we are, in what region of the world we are. But there are certain organs that can be um, can be can have the tuberculosis. So one of the most frequently um, organs are the lymph nodes mm -hmm. or the pleura, mm -hmm. and already the th number three uh, is the urogenital tract. So ah, it's interesting, Katrin. If you are speaking about the urogenital tract, then we can just summarize. So it's meaning that every organ of the urinary urinary or urogenital tract might be affected. It could be the kidneys, the ureter, the bladder in men, the prostate exactly. or the epididymis or in females, the genital organs as well. And is it all in all you already said it is difficult. It is difficult. Why is uh, often the diagnosis of urinary TB delayed? What is the problem? So That's also, again, a bunch of reasons. So the first reason might be that we do not even think about the urogenital tuberculosis because the knowledge in general about tuberculosis in the middle of Europe is not very high. So the second might be that the symptoms of tuberculosis are very, they can be very mixed. So very, it can be chronic disease, it can be non specific symptoms, there can be a bit of urgency, there can be a bit of frequency when it's um, bladder tuberculosis, for mm. example. Mm. So people could maybe first think about a urinary tract infection and treat with normal antibiotics. So those are, for example, some of the reasons yeah. why it's a very difficult um, diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the 
Number one is most probably that we are not aware of the disease in, in our regions. Uh, now I would like to discuss shortly a little bit the diagnostic options. And now I would like to speak just about, uh, for example, bladder or kidney tuberculosis. Yes. So what options do we have in means of diagnosis or diagnostics? Yeah, again, I'd like to say, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Make a good history yeah. and keep in mind it could be tuberculosis. It can mimic all kind of disease. So if you don't find anything, if you treat chronically, think about tuberculosis. And I'm not sure if you mentioned that yet. Still, 25% of people worldwide have or have had some kind of tuberculosis. So mm -hmm. could be a reinfection for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's uh, stay with our urinary tuberculosis. And we as serologists, we are, we are dealing often with urine samples. So what is the meaning of urine investigations? For example, As far as I could remember, of course, I know, but as I remember as well, is that we have some means like a microscopy, for example. Yeah, that still plays a role today. And uh, as an urologist, if I ask you as an expert, uh, what do you think, how or how many urine samples we have to take for the investigation? Plenty. Plenty, plenty. okay. <laughs> There's this rule, especially for culture, that you should take three urine samples on consecutive days. Morning urine and midstream urine. So it's very specific to have a high burden of bacteria. Mm. So you need a lot of bacteria in the urine yeah. if you do microscopy yeah. or culture to find them. Yeah. I would argue uh, only this one because we never argue. We are only discussing is the midstream urine because other experts in the world are recommending as well that it should be the whole sample. Uh, an argument, for example, against would be that you have other mycobacteria, then you could have false positive uh, results. But all in all, the number of mycobacterium urine is so low that uh, I would uh, recommend to go for the whole urine sample. But this we can discuss later as well. So we have the microscopy. Of course, we will perform microscopy on the urine samples. Then we will send the urine for culture. The heavy uh, culture system is uh, called Bactec MGIT. Uh, system and uh, nowadays more and more uh, fancy PCR diagnostics are coming uh, uh, into the game as well. Uh, could you name one of these? One prominent example yeah. is the expert MTB yeah. RIF. Yeah. Um, it allows a much faster diagnosis than, for example, the culture. Yeah. yeah which still takes about nine to ten days to show that it's positive and even much longer, yeah. several weeks to yeah. show that it's negative. So um, one advantage of the PCR is definitely the time. And it also allows for um, resistance testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Is PCR diagnostic uh, something for everyone's pocket? No, definitely not. Yeah. It's still very expensive. Yeah. Um, it's still something that's probably not uh, conducted in the poorer countries. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
We have uh, then other means for the diagnostic. So we had now the microscopy, the PCR diagnosis and the uh, culture. Um, we have other means like uh, whole genome sequencing and other means as well where we can get some insights into the resistance profile of the bacteria. This is a huge problem nowadays in uh, countries like South Africa or India that we are not dealing only with uh, susceptible yeah. mycobacteria. We have uh, drug resistance multi-drug resistance uh, bacteria. This is a problem. But let's stay on the susceptible bacteria and uh, coming now directly to the treatment. It's still number one, the medical treatment. And uh, could you just say what is the recommendation even in urinary tuberculosis for the drug treatment? The drug treatment is basically similar to the drug treatment in the pulmonary tuberculosis. So it's also a scheme, a long-term treatment mm. of daily intakes of medications. Mm. So in the first two months, it's four medications. Mm -hmm. And for the following four months, it's um, two. Yeah. When it's not the multi-drug resistant ones, then it becomes more intense. Then you have to choose other antibiotics or also IV treatment. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems with urinary TB is the delayed diagnostic, then it's meaning that we often, up to 50%, end up with a surgical procedure because we have already damaged organs like kidneys, ureters, etc. And uh, there's a question, uh, what what uh, procedures are often performed or what is uh, one of the most commonly, uh, commonly problems? I've heard it's about, uh, for example, that the urine is not passing so well anymore, so we have to consider ureteral stricture. So uh, are there other problems? So you can say that the... Operations that are performed are either endoscopic, like putting stents because of a stricture in the ureter, for example, um, or ablative. Mm -hmm. So in really severe forms of platelet tuberculosis, you maybe have to even perform a cystectomy mm -hmm. and um, do a new platelet, for example, or the third one, yeah. Um, reconstructive. Yeah, yeah. If you would take just a short glimpse into the future, We know nowadays that uh, tuberculosis is still a huge problem. If you consider, for example, that the mortality rate of COVID was about 2% and of tuberculosis still 15%, mm -hmm. it's still a huge problem. If you just take a short glimpse into the future, where do you think what could be further improved? I guess um, diagnosis is always a problem, not thinking about Tuberculosis, delaying the exact treatment and with that causing um, destruction of the organs. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a problem. So keep it in mind, but also yeah. from a technical point yeah. of view to actually improve the measures, how we can diagnose tuberculosis mm -hmm. um, beyond culture, yeah. especially, which yeah. will take so much time and also make it affordable for the countries that um, do not have the money we might absolutely have. absolutely and then furthermore perhaps we have uh, the possibility to improve the medical treatment we have to consider other treatment options because of drug resistance and perhaps we can uh, take a step back and we can find uh, proper vaccination as well so all in all katrin 
I think we have discussed a lot about uh, rare problem still for us, but it might be increasing because of more and more people from countries affected more of tuberculosis are coming yeah. to Europe. And uh, what I would like to add as the chair of the guideline panel is that our European or that the guidelines on urotract infections of the ERU are not only for European people. And this yes, is one course. reason as well, because we would like or the reason why we extend our guidelines even with these diseases. Yes. We would like to have guidelines for everyone usable worldwide. And uh, with this, I think we can conclude that uh, we have added a good chapter. Thank you very much for your work. I will not forget to name uh, Dr. Mantica as well. He was part of our team. Uh, we have conducted uh, literature research and we put the knowledge and the insights into the chapter. And we have now written as well a short uh, summary. And uh, Dr. Mantica was heavily involved as well as Emma Smith from the guideline office. Therefore, I would like to thank everyone, as well as you, Katrin, for joining us. Thanks a lot. Me and... Uh, I wish all of you a great Congress and see you. Thanks.